we're looking at when God calls us, and what do we do about it? By the way, I'm glad you got to be here today for church. Um, our Michigan church was a little different uh, in dealing with snow than I found uh, southern churches. And so I'm glad that uh, we had it, and I'm glad it didn't last long, and now I'm glad that we we're kind of uh, done with it. And it's Super Bowl Sunday, and the, the roads are clear, and so God is good, and we're going to talk about what to do when He calls us to become something. So we're going to talk about that today. Um, I asked the question online and then with some friends, and the question was, when did you realize you're, you're a grown-up? And it was interesting, I, I, I pulled up my Facebook page, and they fell into categories, I noted. Some people, you know, kind of gave the, you know, I don't know yet, I'm not quite there yet, I'm not grown up yet, and I get that, and there were a lot of folks said when they had a child, which makes some sense, because when you have a child, then all of a sudden you're responsible for a life that's beyond yours, and I know as a dad, when Amaris was born, our oldest was born, I remember thinking, good grief, now I've got real responsibility in my life. Um, I didn't think that when I got married, evidently, but I did think it when I had a child. Um, I had a couple of guys say that it was when they, one guy said it was when, when he went to Desert Storm, um, one guy said it was when he went to boot camp, and so when, they're, uh, when they face basically their own mortality, I think a lot of times people sort of all of a sudden feel like, you know, now it's, um, it's different than it's ever been before. So lots of, uh, lots of different ways we kind of know that it's, we're, we're growing up. And there's an interesting text we're going to look at. By the way, for me, it was when my, my dad was always the guy that would, would, pay, you know, would pick up the check. And I knew I had arrived as an adult when one time my daddy let me pick up the check. And, I, I mean, I was probably 40. I, mean, it was like, I was really old. You know, Daddy always picked up the check. And, and I would always kind of reach for it, and he would get it. Uh, and he, he called my bluff one day. You know, he let me get the check. And, and I knew now all of a sudden he kind of was starting to treat me as uh, maybe an equal or, or somebody on the same level. So I, I, don't, I, don't, uh, I, don't, I'll, I won't forget that because it was a cool, cool moment. So there's this, uh, we've been looking at... The calling of God. And we notice this text, and we're going to look at the 29th verse in a second, but this text says, we know that God's cause is everything to work together for the good of those who love him. And we all know that part of the verse, but then it says, who are called according to his purpose. And we noted that God has a purpose for every life, that he's called every life. And if you'll recall, a couple weeks ago, we talked about you were created to be loved by God, not to do something but to receive God's love, that's sort of a foundation stone. When I know that God created me to love me, to have a relationship with me, it kind of changes everything. I don't have to win his favor. I don't have to do any of that kind of stuff. God has created me to love me. And then we talked about how God has called us to be a part of his family. And it's a big deal that we're called to belong to something. And that we're called to belong to something bigger than ourselves. And that's one of the reasons we do small groups is because Part of what church should be is getting to know one another. And I, I've been listening and just interacting with people as you all walked in today, and I, I've seen many of you. And my friend Scott is greeting at the door, and Scott's dad is not well. And he's, in fact, he's severely unwell, honestly. And I, I've kind of, it's funny, it's kind of cool to be the pastor and watch how people interact with one another. And I can't tell you how many times somebody asks Scott about his dad and how he was doing and how Scott was doing and that that's what being part of a family feels like we 
we, we carry each other's burdens. There's a text about that in Galatians, by the way, how we're to carry one another's burdens. And so we've been called according to his purpose. And his purpose for us is to, to be loved by him and to be a part of the family. But then the very next verse is really, really important. It says, God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. We've been called to become like Jesus. And you think to yourself, well, that sounds <laughs> ominous. <laughs> you know, does that mean we become a mini-God, like a mini-me-God? And the Bible over and over says, you know, we don't become a God, but we become godly. And we sort of take on the characteristics of our Heavenly Father, and we see all these characteristics in the person of Christ. In fact, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you, if you look at me, if you look at my life, and so uh, this year I'm reading through the New Testament and I've been reading these biographies of Jesus called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you kind of you look at the life of Jesus, and there's this one text that really talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and, and Jesus is uh, this perfect personification of that. We've been called to become like Jesus, and in Galatians it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and Jesus had all these things, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Jesus was all of these things. And so when we look at this picture and when we look at Jesus, we note that he was all of those things. Now, lest we think Jesus was some pushover, we need. here's what happens. If we're not careful, we start to get a caricature of what we think we want Jesus to be. We basically make Jesus in the image we want him to be. So, we, too many people kind of have a Mr. Rogers Jesus. He, he is always nice and never confrontational. But the problem with that is, when you read scripture, that's not the Jesus you see. In fact, he was sometimes incredibly confrontational. I would think, uh, alright, let me back that up. Can you imagine Mr. Rogers walking into a temple, fashioning a whip, and driving people out? I can't. I can't, I can't imagine that. I watched the movie. He wouldn't do that. Mr. Rogers don't know how to make no whip. I mean, he is not driving anybody out. And yet, Jesus made a whip. He fashioned it, which means it took him some time. It's not like he found a whip and started hitting people. He had to think about it a little bit. These folks were selling things in the temple area, they were keeping people from God and from a relationship with God and from interacting with God. They were, it was blasphemous what they were doing. And Jesus took exception to it. And he fashioned a whip and he drove them out of the temple. And I don't know much about things, but I know whips are not wimps. And Jesus was often confrontational. There was a time where they were trying to trap him and they caught a woman in adultery, which if you think about this just for a second, they caught a woman in the act of adultery, and the only person they brought to Jesus was the woman. It is likely they brought her into the presence of Jesus. I want to at least think she was scantily clad, but it may not have even been that. I mean, can, can you imagine the humiliation? I, I don't think sometimes we, we think these things through. Think about how humiliating that was. And then they said to Jesus, basically, um, what's your judgment? I mean, the, the law says we can stone her. And they have, they have rocks in their hands when they're asking the question. 
The law says we can stone her. We can, we can kill her, according to the law, by beating her to death with stones. And Jesus, it, it's such a cool scene. And I, I, One of the first questions I'm going to ask Jesus, and I have, I have a little list, but on my list is, what did you write in the dust? Because it says he leaned down and he wrote in the dust. And they asked him again, and, and then Jesus said, the person who was without sin is the one to cast the first stone. And he leaves them speechless, and he leaves them stoneless, and he confronts them with their own sin. So Jesus isn't some milquetoast dude. He was often confrontational. He was frequently controversial. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It doesn't leave any options on the table. People still have a problem, problem with this. They will say, well, but what about if I'm good enough? Well, it's not what it says. Well, what about if I believe sincerely in something else? Not what it says. It's just not what it says. Now, you don't have to believe it if you don't want to, but Jesus, these are the words of Christ himself. Nobody put these words in Jesus' mouth. He's the one that said it. He, he was often, frequently controversial. And something can be controversial and true at the same time. It, it, just because it's controversial doesn't make it untrue. This is controversial. Still true. Let me give you another one. In Scripture, it says there are two genders. That used to not be controversial. In fact, Scripture says God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He created two genders. Now, today, for some reason, that is controversial. <laughs> Shouldn't be controversial, but it is. Is it controversial? Yes. Is it true? Yes. Jesus was frequently controversial and he was often challenging if you want to be challenged this afternoon or if this sermon gets too boring and you want to get challenged now just turn to Matthew 5 and start reading it's called the sermon on the mount he talks about everything there, there's a section I'm looking at it right here he talks about um not about how you're to handle your anger you're not even supposed to say fool he talks about adultery, and they, were, they said, you know, if you commit adultery, you're in trouble. And Jesus said, well, if you look at a woman lustfully, and every man that read that, and every man that's read that since, and every man that heard that is like, because <sighs> men do that. And then he talks about, uh, talks about um, taking oaths, and he says, well, if your yes be yes, you shouldn't have to take oaths. Your word ought to be your bond. And he talks about, hey, if somebody treats you wrong, and in fact, he says, it's been said that you're to love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemy. And then he says, turn the other cheek. And he is often challenging. He says some crazy challenging stuff. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves Take up their cross daily and follow me. And that challenge is massive. He says, this is what it looks like to follow me. And we have crosses on our walls and we have crosses on the back of the wall here. And we wear them on our necks and we have earrings that are crosses. But when Jesus said, take up your cross, he basically meant be willing to give up your life every day, no matter what. It was... Incredibly challenging. Now, lest you think 
Jesus was always, you know, confrontational. He was always compassionate. You see it over and over in Scripture. Look, look at this text. When he saw the crowds, he was deeply moved and w- with compassion for them because they were troubled and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He was always compassionate. You see him heal people. You see him heal people who were born with infirmities that nobody else ever thought. He did miraculous things because they never thought they could be healed. He healed a man born blind one time. And in fact, it's really interesting if you study Jesus healing blind people. He never does it the same way. It's always different. One time, he spit on the ground, and he, I love it, the King James, he, uh, he, he used spittle. I think that's a great word. Anyway, he spit on the ground, he made mud, and he wiped it on the guy's eyes, and then the, the dude went and washed it off, and he could see. One time, he just sort of spits on the guy's eyes, and it, he, he's able to see. One time, he just says, you can see. Uh, it's just, it's never the same. But it, other than it's always compassionate. Jesus heals lepers. One time, there were thousands of people who were hungry and he took a little bit of stuff and he made a lot of food he's always compassionate and so yeah can we be confrontational absolutely can we can we uh if we're to follow jesus can we um confront sure we can but we always must be compassionate it says about jesus he was full of grace and truth equal measures grace and and truth. What happens when there's all grace and no truth is that people fall into sin and they stay there. If it's all truth and no grace, then people reject you because they don't want to hear that. Because you're just being mean. Jesus was full of grace and truth. And if we're to become like Christ, then this must be our ambition. To be full of grace and truth. To be filled with love and joy and peace and patience and grace and truth. Now, let's talk about how to do it. Four times in the Bible it talks about becoming like Christ. It uses the language, the metaphor of being like a race. In fact, Paul often talks about the race. You know, we're we're in this race. And if you're athletic or if you've ever competed, then this makes sense to you that you're in... It's a challenge, and there's an opponent, and you're trying to get the better of them, and this sort of resonates with people. And so we're, we're kind of on this marathon to maturity. We're, that's who we are, and we're becoming, or at least we're to become like Christ. So there are four things I'm going to talk about today. First, I simplify my life. I simplify my life. In Hebrews 12, we're going to be there, for these two verses, they're really good. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down. So we're using the running metaphor. And the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. The word race, by the way, is this word in the Greek. Agona. That word. That word right there. That word I can't say. What does it look like in English? Agony. It looks like agony, right? Isn't that cool? What he's saying is this race isn't easy. I I like that Jesus never bait and switches people. He doesn't say, oh, come to me. And Jesus did say, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest, and my yoke is easy. It's easy because he helps us carry it. He's carrying it with us. But it's a race. It's a marathon. It it requires, the word he just used was endurance. You've got to work for it. 
And good runners, they do certain things. They go into training. They, they train their bodies by running. They train their bodies by intaking the proper foods and those sorts of things. They get the proper amount of sleep. They do certain things. And so when it says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, we all have things that can slow down our maturity in Christ. You know, when you run a race, what I've noticed about racers is they want the least amount of clothing on that they can wear, and the lightest. Running shoes now weigh hardly anything. Uh, I was shopping with Elise the other day, and we were looking at shoes, and they were, they, they, they're, fe- they're feather light. They don't weigh anything. And then they, they make these running shorts, and they're, they're, just, they're hardly anything. And then uh, you wear these little shirts, and they're hardly anything. It just, there's no, you take everything off that weighs a lot of, you don't, you, you never see anybody running a, a marathon in snow boots and a parka. I mean, I, I lived in Michigan, I never saw that. That's just, it doesn't make any sense because you're stripping off everything that could weigh you down. Now, what's really interesting, it says, let us strip off every weight and the sins, like it's two different things, two categories, if you will. Now, let's talk about some things that I have to strip off if I'm going to mature in Christ. One would be my past failures. A lot of times that weighs a person down. Something you did 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 5 years ago, 5 months ago. The, the Bible is very clear about this. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when I think this through, okay, I've sinned. If I were to take a poll, I would think most of us have sinned. I look at you, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Most of you have. We've got sin. We know what it is. We know we've done it. Some of us think, well, my sin is more egregious than somebody else's. Well, maybe it is. I don't know. I've got some pretty bad sins in my life. I don't know about you. I've got some stuff I'm really not advertising. I, I'm, I've got some stuff I, I don't want to think about anymore. The beautiful thing is, when I receive forgiveness in Christ, those no longer are held against me by God. Now, if somebody found out or somebody, you know, maybe they would hold it against me. I, it, really, that's not important for my becoming like Christ. I need to strip off my past failures. I also need to strip off my past successes. Because a lot of times it's like, oh, I've done it great, and so now I don't have to do anything else. Men, let me ask you a question. Valentine's Day is next Sunday. I I hope you know that. Valentine's Day is next Sunday. I'm your pastor. I'm here to help you. Now, if you, let's say this year, you're not very good at this, but this year you are going to kill it. I mean, you're going to get the perfect gift. You're going to buy the perfect card. You're going to write the perfect note in the card. You're going to say, you're going to hit the right notes. You're going to say it just right. It's going to be, it's like Shakespeare. Uh, you, you channel your inner Shakespeare and you write it just right. Perfect gift, perfect card, perfect moment. You take her to the perfect place to eat Popeye's or someplace really good like that. I mean, you're knocking it out of the park. You kill it, man. You, you watch Notebook with her just because she wants to. Because no man watches that. No man. Unless he's, you know, not really a man. Uh, anyway, anyway, you, you, you do everything. It's perfect. Now, 
Next Valentine's Day, does what you did last Valentine's Day count for this Valentine's Day? <laughs> no, it does not. It does not. So, I might have successes in my spiritual life. I mean, I'm really killing it. I'm, I'm maintaining a quiet time. I'm going to church a lot. I'm, I'm giving. I'm serving. I'm doing the stuff that God's called me to do. I also sometimes have to strip off my successes. What can I do more? Or what can I do better? Or how can I grow to something different? That's a stepping stone. It's not a final destination. I'm still trying to become more and more like Christ all the time. It's kind of funny. Sometimes the stuff you have to strip off is good stuff. Here's what runners do. They don't choose between good and bad. Often they, they choose between good and better. I'm going to have a better diet. I'm going to have a, a better regimen of sleep. I'm going to have better exercise. I'm, I'm going to, I mean, there are people that are exercising, but if I'm going to be a marathoner, I'm going to have to really exercise. If I'm going to be a marathoner, I'm going to have to really eat right. I'm going to have to do things better. Sometimes it's legalism. This is really important. I'll, I'll fall into, okay, I've got to keep a bunch of rules. It's not what we're talking about. If I'm going to become like Christ, again, let me go back to the verse where Jesus said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. The Father and I are one. We're just alike. It's about becoming or, or about growing in a relationship with a person. It's about growing in a relationship. This is all this is about and so we strip off all the harmless stuff, we take care of all the bad things, but then it also says, and the sin. Really interesting. The, the language of that is, it, the language is the sin, the sin that is standing around us. That's what it literally means. It, the sin that's all around. How far do you have to go to be in the middle of sin? You don't, you don't have to go very far. If you have a phone in your pocket, you don't have to go very far. Sin is all around us. Are you ever surprised at something that comes up on your phone? It's like, I didn't ask for that. Yeah. Or your tablet or your computer. I mean, sometimes it's really not what you want on there. Sin has a way of finding you. I heard a great illustration about this, and I found a picture that kind of goes along with it. Um, this is a gull who's on a piece of ice eating a fish. Now, this guy, his name was George Sweeting. He was... Uh, at Niagara Falls, and he kind of noticed something. It, this was in the, uh, in the spring, the thaw had happened, and there were chunks of ice floating down toward the waterfall. And what he noticed was there were dead fish embedded in the ice, and these gulls would land on those chunks of ice, and they would peck away at the ice until they could get to the fish, and they would gorge themselves on the fish. And then just about the time that chunk of ice was about to go over the rapids, then the gulls would fly off. They usually didn't get too close, but he noticed one particular gull. And he was riding that piece of ice for a long time, and he got closer than any of the other gulls to the edge. And then he tried to take off, and his little feet, his little bird feet, were, were frozen to the ice. And this is what happens. We, we can get around the wrong things, we can do the wrong things, we can be around the wrong stuff, and if we're not careful, all the sin around us traps us. It gets into us, or we get into it. I think it's a kind of a, a good picture. I've got to be willing to strip off these things. Now, something else, the stripping off part, it would be stripping off somebody else's expectation for me. Because at the end of that verse, it says, 
And we'll run the race, the race God has set before us. You've got some options here. You can run your own race. You can kind of figure, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. I, I, I'm, a, a, you know, I'm smart enough to figure it out on my own. I can just do my own thing. Or you can run a race somebody else sets for you. Maybe your mom and dad said, I want you to do this, or I want you to do that, or you're married and your spouse tells you this is what you should do, and you run that race. Or, and this is the best choice, you can run the race that God has set for you. First thing is, we simplify. Okay, so that might mean that I have to give up some things if I'm going to become like Christ. We are incredibly entertainment-oriented people. I, I, well, let me, let me rephrase. I'll time out. Let's back that up. It's easy for me to get immersed in entertainment if I'm not careful. It can be as simple as watching television or as complex as looking at news articles. I mean, there's a lot of ways to be entertained. And if we're not careful, we get engrossed in that. And before you know it, you're five years down the road and you've not grown spiritually at all. So simplifying is really, really important. But there's another kind of part to this. I've got to pace myself. Look what it says in this verse, to run with endurance. The word endurance. This is going to shock some of you, but several years ago I ran a 5K. And it's been several years. It was when we lived in Michigan. It was really interesting because I really didn't run, but the girls wanted to run. And I said, I'll run it with you. And so here's what you see at a 5K. Uh, this has kind of been consistent in my experience. You get there and there are some really, really great runners. You want to know how you know they're great runners? They have no body fat. They're the guys with 2% body fat, and the, and the guys take off their shirts, and we all kind of swear under our breath. And uh, uh, those guys are there. And the girls, they kind of strip down, you know, they've got the little sports bra, but there they are, and it's like, oh man, they don't have any body fat, and you know they are serious runners. And when the gun goes off, all you see are the bottom of their shoes, because they are just taken off. Then there are other guys that are putting out their cigarettes right before the race starts, you know? They're the guys that are, you know, they've got the course light, and they're putting that down, and they're about ready to run, you know? They're, they're, so I was in that group. I, not that I was the cigarette thing, but no, but... Uh, um, I was just back with them, drinking my Gatorade. I just want you to, I want to make it all clear. Anyway, I was right back there in that group. So the nobody fat people took off, like a, like, a, like a bullet out of a gun. And then there were us, us schlubs. And it was really fun because I watched the guys. They were younger than me, but I could tell they weren't in shape. And they took out really fast, and I did the tortoise and the hare thing, you know. I was pacing myself. I'm not going to go too fast. And sure enough, this was awesome. About halfway through the race, they have stopped. And I pass them. And I'm thinking, this is going to be a great sermon illustration someday. That's all I thought. I'm going to use this. And then sure enough, I mean, a little later they pass me back. It kind of ruins the illustration. But what I want you to know is, it's all about pace. The race is an endurance race. It's not a sprint. It's an endurance race. And so... We get frustrated sometimes. I'm not growing like I want to. I, I understand that. There's times like that for me. I wish I was growing more in my life spiritually. I get it. I mean, I, I completely get that. But think about nature. When God wants to grow a mushroom, it takes six hours. When God wants to grow an oak tree, it takes 60 years. I mean, which do you want to be? We have instant stuff all over the place. Instant coffee, instant oatmeal, instant mashed potatoes. They all have something in common. They're horrible. 
And so life isn't meant to be instant. We, you don't microwave spirituality. You want to know how you get mature? It's spelled T-I-M-E. We have to take time. There's endurance involved. You have to be sure that you can endure. The word that's uh, the Hebrew word for endurance is hupomone. The, um, the definition is to remain under the challenge. I'm going to be challenged. I'm going to remain under the challenge. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to walk off. If you, if you, have you ever seen um, a basketball team? I've seen this sometimes. In fact, Scottie Pippen did this one time, who was a great basketball player, by the way. But the game was at the end of the game, and there were a few seconds left, and it was junk time. And the coach told Scottie Pippen to go into the game, and he said no. He just kind of gave up on the team and on, on his responsibility. And so you run the race for endurance, with endurance. Now listen, there are going to be obstacles. And I couldn't think of a better illustration for this than the show Wipeout. If you've ever watched the show, you'll be running along, and then... Bad things happen. I'm going to show you a couple of those. Throughout time, engineers have built the Taj Mahal, the Great Wall of China, the Grand Canyon, and now the Smack Wall. in the design. Two sweeper arms here and here make the contestant look here when they really should be looking here. <laughs> it's hard for me to laugh at somebody else's pain, but I made my way there. Okay. All right. So let me, here, here's the third thing. It's perfect. We can't be distracted. That's what he just made. The point he just made was, hey, they're, they're distracted. So the third thing is I walk with Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2 says, we, keep, we must keep our eyes on Jesus who leads us and makes our faith complete. You've got to walk with Jesus. I, we talk about it all the time. I feel like I'm, a, I'm, I'm you know, kind of beating the drum over and over again. But if you want to be like Jesus, you have to spend time with Jesus. It's kind of common knowledge. Whatever I want to become, I have to think about. And whoever I want to come, I have to hang out with. If you want to be a great basketball player, you ought to probably go play basketball with great players. That just makes sense. If you want to be a, a novelist, you ought to hang out with novelists. If you want to be a, an accountant, hang out with accountants. It just makes sense. You hang out with some people that can help you, that are further along, that can help you get there. Well, Jesus is further along. If our ambition is to become like Jesus, he's certainly further along. And so you have a quiet time. If I want to become like Jesus, I've got to spend time with Jesus. So I read my Bible every day. For me, I get up early. I do it in the morning. I get a cup of coffee. I've told you this a hundred times. I wake up. I wash my face. I go get a cup of coffee. I read my Bible. This is what I do because it just makes sense to me. You talk to God throughout the day. I, I just finished a really interesting book by a, a man named Andy Stanley. Many of you know, all know who he is, great pastor over in Atlanta. And the books, he's written a lot of stuff, so let me tell you what the title is. It, it, the title is Ask It. And he makes the point, and I think really well, that the question isn't, is it, is it good or bad? The question to ask is, is it wise? Is it wise? I, I, I was thinking about, okay, well, let me think that through. What does that look like? Okay, okay, so 
I'm a young man and I'm dating a woman. And we go back to her apartment and it snows. And she says, hey, you want to you just stay here? You can sleep on the couch. Now, is that wrong? It's not wrong. Is it wise? Hmm. Having been a young man, I can answer that question. That's not wise. You could do it. I mean, it's not, the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not spend the night at somebody's house on a couch. It doesn't say that, but it's not wise. There's stuff that's, it's not particularly wrong, but it's just not wise. And so, how do I learn what's wise? Well, it's by, by getting with Jesus, doing the things Jesus did, thinking the way Jesus thought. So for me, the place, I, I have a place. I think one of the tips you need is find a place. Don't do it in different places. Miriam, there's a chair in our extra room, and that's where she goes to read her Bible. And every morning, if I want to find Miriam, she's in her chair in that room reading her Bible. She knows I'm in, there's a little couch in our bedroom, and I'm going to be on that couch, and that's where I read my Bible. We have our places. I had one guy tell me one time the quietest place in his house was the toilet. He locks the door, and that's where he reads his Bible. Like, whatever floats your boat, buddy. Uh, you got to get away from people. And this makes a lot of sense. And this is how we learn about Jesus. We have to keep our eye on Jesus, who leads us and makes our faith complete. If I'm going to become like Christ, i got to spend time with Christ. It's just, it's just intuitive if you think about it. Now, what I concentrate on is absolutely critical. Let me go back to a sports metaphor. When I was in high school, I ran the hurdles a little bit. I, didn't, I wasn't very good at it, so he didn't let me do it very long. The, the hurdles, it's all about getting your steps right. It's like three steps, hurdle, three steps, hurdle, three steps, hurdle. That's how it's supposed to be. And your leg is, I can't do it anymore, but your leg is supposed to come up sideways. Here, let me see. Yeah, that's about it. Okay, anyway. Um, Maybe the left leg. Uh, no, it's, it's not going to happen. But you, you want to barely go over the hurdle. And the coach, <laughs> I'll never forget him saying, don't look at the hurdle. And I'm like, well, that's what I'm jumping over. I'm going to look at the hurdle. You know what happens when you look at the hurdle? You get into the hurdle. The hurdle gets into you. You and the hurdle become one. You, you merge with the hurdle on the ground. That's what happens when you look at the hurdle. And so you don't look at the hurdle. You look at your goal. And this is a great verse. It's like, hey, keep your eye on what your eye needs to be on. Look at Philippians. It says, I press toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Look, I keep my eye on the prize. I've done a lot of weddings in my life. I'm pretty old. I've done a lot of weddings. And traditions have changed a little bit. It used to be brides had a veil. And there was this big moment in the ceremony where, where you know, she has a veiled face and she faces her husband, her, her fiancé, who was soon to be her husband, and the veil is lifted. And it's just this magical moment. There are kind of two moments in a wedding that really get to me. When, when the bride appears, it's like, it's like the, the angels go, Hallelujah! It's like, womb. And I always say to the, to the groom, dude, you, you watch. This is awesome. Because if you miss that moment, you, that's a really cool moment you don't want to miss. And it, and it used to be the veil. She would lift her veil. And there's nothing like a bride. You lift that veil. And the Bible uses this imagery one time in, a couple times in Scripture. It talks about, so all of us who have that 
veil removed, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. We can be like Jesus. It's possible. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. It is a process. That's why it says more and more. As we are changed, more and more. All that is process language. It's not instant. It doesn't happen right away. You know, scientists have found something called mirror neurons. Basically, if you see somebody in distress, like those people that fell a little while ago, some of you who have big hearts, unlike every guy in here, uh, some of you, uh, you, you had great sympathy. You saw that, your, your mirror neurons is like, oh, I bet that hurts. <laughs> we all thought that's funny. But some of you have these mirror neurons. In, and so if you watch a sad movie, you get sad. If you watch a scary movie, you get scared. You kind of put yourself in their position. Well, when I hang out with Jesus, those mirror neurons begin to kick in. I become, I become like Him. I begin to think like Him. I, I want to act like Him. I want to do the things that Jesus would do. Now, we're going to pick this up next week. This is, there's a lot of content. I've got two or three more things I want to tell you about. But let's, um, let's review real quickly. If I want to be like Christ, I've got to simplify my life. That might mean I have to take off some stuff. I may have to not do some things I've been doing. It could be a hobby. There's nothing wrong with a hobby, but what if my hobby is keeping me from becoming like Christ? Well, then there's something wrong with it. It could be a relationship. Some people I've known of really needed to get rid of a relationship because that really wasn't helping them. So I have to simplify my life. What am I willing to do? The second thing is I've got to pace myself. I've got to realize... I'm not going to get mature in a day, but I could get more mature in a month or six months or a year. And the third thing is, I've got to walk with Jesus. There's this new fad out. This is my last sports metaphor for the day. It's called ultra running. Marathons are 26 point something miles. These ultra marathoners will run 50 or more. Uh, Sometimes they run a double marathon. 26 and 26, that's like more than 50. Uh, so a lot of miles, 100 miles. Uh, when I was in New Mexico, I think Arizona had a, a race in the desert that was 100 miles long. Um, ultra marathoners, you can imagine what shape they're in. And they are willing to do things that most people won't do. L- let me read this to you. Um, The sport takes such a degree of commitment that some participants have permanently removed their toenails in order to eliminate one of the potential sources of runner's discomfort. A sports podiatrist told the New York Times that many ultramarathoners consider their toenails useless appendages. One runner commented, You know, any sport that has gone off the rails when they have to remove body parts to participate in it. They want to be good, so they're willing to make sacrifices. Which leads me to our final question for the day. What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to do? What are you willing to sacrifice to be more like Jesus? Because ultra-marathoners will eventually not ever be able to run. I mean, eventually they get old, they can't run anymore. I mean, they do that for a season. What are you willing to do for eternity? What are you willing to do? What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to sacrifice? In order to become like Jesus. Because God's ambition for us, we saw it in, uh, in Romans 8.29, is that we would become like Jesus. That is his goal for us. 
And we might have to make some sacrifices. We might have to do some things and change some things in order for that to happen. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for all you've done for us. I pray that you would challenge us and um, I guess challenge is the right word. I need to be challenged, Lord, to, to want to be like your son. And it helped me not just be challenged, but then to make the sacrifices it takes to do that. I pray it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.